0: Over the next few Sundays, we're going to do a little digging in the Old Testament. Lessons from the patriarchs. Do a little history lesson. In fact, we're going to start with Noah today. And Noah's story spans Genesis 6 through at least Genesis 9. Don't worry, we're not going to read all that. But we are going to read pieces of it. We are going to go through his story and see if there are some things that we can learn about God through that story that applies to us today today. Because a lot of times you read these Old Testament stories and you go, okay, great, that happened, or maybe we're not sure that happened, or that's weird, or whatever. But what does that have to do with me now? Right? Like, that's an Old Testament story. We have the New Testament now. We don't need the Old Testament. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. There's all kinds of important truth that we can learn, not only about the the, uh, characters. You know, Noah's like the famous, like, nursery scene um, vacation Bible school scene, like always Noah's Ark is kind of an obvious thing. Like you can watch documentaries on Discovery Channel about can they find the Ark or not. It's a historical thing, but it has everything to do with how we live and relate to God today. So let's start toward the first of the story. This is Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Oh, I had it. then I lost it. Sorry about that. Okay. This is verses 5 through 14 at the outset of the story. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth. That every inclination of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made mankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created... "...people together with animals and creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence." And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh for the earth. For it is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and cover it with pitch. There's a nice cheery opening to a sermon passage, right? God had decided that the whole earth was filled with corruption and violence and sin and disobedience. And his response was, I think I'm going to start over. Wow. And we're only in Genesis 6. It took us five whole chapters to screw up everything God made. Five whole chapters. To completely wreck everything God set out. We've gone from very good. God made this and God made this and it was good. God made this and it was good. God made mankind and it was very good. We've gone from there to they're corrupt. They're evil. I'm wiping them out. In five whole chapters. But you ever read this about God and go, wait a minute. God just says, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to start over? I'm going to wipe out. And by the way, animal lovers, animals are included in the list. You hear it's like, I'm going to blot out creeping things. Like, okay, you can take out snakes and mosquitoes. We're good with that. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm going to take out everything and start over from scratch. In fact, if you think about it, the flood itself, the idea of a flood to be the judgment vehicle here is a reversal of creation. Is it day... Two, God separates the land from the water. Maybe it's four. Anyway, I'm a seminary. I'm supposed to know this. But in creation, God separates the land from the water. And when he decides he's ready to reset, what is he doing essentially? I'm erasing that separation. I'm going to allow streams of water to come up out of the ground. I'm going to allow the, the oceans to not be held back anymore. There's going to be a deluge of rain. We're not even sure if rain had happened before this point in history. Can you imagine if that was true? And people are walking around like, what is this moisture falling from the sky? Like it would have freaked them out, right? They wouldn't know what was going on. Or when Noah says, hey, God's going to flood the earth, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So he decides, God says, I'm going to start over. I'm going to reverse everything. I will blot out and I will destroy with a flood. But you, Noah, <laughs> except for Noah and his family. The scriptures that we just read says that God Noah found favor in God's eyes. So here's, here's a very important spiritual truth just from that little section that we need to understand about God. He will punish evil. He will. That's not a very current statement to say, right? In fact, we tend to go, yeah, that's not really that bad or that's not really that bad. We tend to minimize evil. But we know from reading this story that at this point in history, God goes, he even says, God says he was sad that he made us. That's a powerful statement. That God would look at the earth that he made very good and has decided that mankind has just gotten away from the original plan. So much so that he's got to reset it. But it's basically telling us God at some point Because the world is perfect now and wonderful now and there's no evil anywhere. There's no corruption anywhere, right? At some point, God will punish evil. He will. We like to think of God as the great Santa Claus in the sky that gives us our wish list and loves us and pours out His grace upon us and all that stuff is true to some measure. But God will eventually deliver justice too. One of the things that's so hard to understand for us when we think about God and His nature is this. He's perfectly loving we like that one. God is love. He's, perfectly, he's gracious to forgive us. We like that one too. Right? But he's also perfectly just. He's also holy. And so that becomes really complex. If he's perfectly loving and he's perfectly just, at some point you have a conflict here. Because a perfectly loving God wants to forgive and a perfectly just God needs to punish sin does that work? That is how and why, total tangent here for a second, this is why Jesus died on the cross. Because on the cross, you have the perfect solution. God has a way to be perfectly loving and forgiving because Jesus paid the penalty. And yet God is able to punish and provide perfect justice over sin at the same time. So God's nature is, yes, I'm loving. Yes, I'm gracious. Yes, I'm forgiving. But God's nature is also, I am holy. I am perfect. I am without sin. And one day sin is going to pay a penalty for sin. Evil is going to be destroyed. And at this point in history, fortunately for Noah, (laughs) it wasn't a complete reset, right? It was a, hey, the world has become corrupt and evil and violent. You know, as I was even as I even as I say those words, you think about this, all the the gun violence that's been going on, the world is still evil, the world is still corrupt, and the world is definitely still violent. Nothing has changed. We're, I think Jesus at one point said, the world will be like the days of Noah. We're there. We gotta be when you read this description, we're there. But here's the thing, God is not some angry tyrant. It's more like a troubled parent, if you think about it. He says, I'm so sad (laughs) that I made them. It's not that, okay, you got to blot them out, done, boom, my word is law. He is troubled by the fact that we've wandered off the reservation. The same way you worry about your kids when they don't do exactly what you told them to do when you told them to do it. That never happens, right? Your kids are perfect, I know that. They're angels. Only the other person's kids are annoying and evil and wretched. Your kids are angels. They never disobey. They never do wrong. And when they do, do you want to blot them out sometimes? (laughs) I brought you into this world and I can take you out. theres I mean, as a parent, we feel that, right? And at the same time, what do we feel? If, something, if somebody messes with them, I'm going to crush them because we love them. It's the same thing I'm saying about God. He definitely doesn't want us disobeying, but he loves us anyway. It's the same tension that God is experiencing in Genesis 6. Look at my people. They're very good. Not so much anymore, but I still love them. Which is an important part of this story because... If Noah's story stops with, I'm going to blot out the world with a flood, there would be a lot less of us around, right? But the story continues. God chooses Noah and his family. By the way, sidebar here, when you're reading Genesis, I read a passage in there that said, these are the generations of Noah. Did you catch that? And it kind of gave you a little bit of a liturgy, uh, not liturgy, gave you a little bit of a histogram of his family, right? When you're reading Genesis, you'll notice this. These are the generations of occurs over and over again. In fact, you'll hear it most of the time this summer because we'll take another one and go, these are the generations of Abraham. These are the generations of Jacob. These are like, In other words, that's a nice, before there were chapters and verse in Genesis, this is how Genesis is structured. This is when you know a whole new story in redemptive history is about to unveil when you hear the phrase, these are the generations of. Oh, something important is about to happen. So we get to this story and here's Noah and he's chosen him. Why would he choose Noah? It says God noticed Noah was righteous. Noah was trying to follow God in the midst of a world that was not. He picked him out of everybody and his family out of everybody. Because even though the world is corrupt, even though the world is evil, even though the world is violent, even though the world is messed up by sin, the image of God, his image bearers, us, right, are not completely wiped out. The image of God is not destroyed by sin. God says, in creation, let us make mankind in our image. Male and female, let us make them. And that phrase is loaded. Made in the image of God. Sin does not completely destroy the fact that we are image bearers. No matter how bad your kid is being, if they set the carpet on fire, they're still an image bearer. No matter how far from God you've wandered, you're still an image bearer. No matter how much that person, you hate that person that cuts you off in traffic, they're still an image bearer. No matter how much that person betrays you at work and messes up your world, they are still made in the image of God and sin cannot destroy that. Not completely. And so God looks at a world that's full of sin and says, all right... We've got to do something about this. So I choose Noah. This is, verse seven, this is verses 17 through 22 of the same chapter. For my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you You shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark. Keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing, of the ground according to its kind. Two of every kind shall come into into you and keep them alive." for say. Okay, good. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten and store it and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Okay, so now we're at the story, right? Noah has built a boat. A really big boat that's going to hold two of every kind of animal that comes to him. Why oh why the snakes had to come to him, I don't know, but they did. Two of every kind that comes to him goes on the boat. I guess the fish didn't have to come to him because they're swimming around anyway. But every kind of animal enters the boat that he says going to. Store up all the food that you're going to. You're going to be on here for a while. You've got to feed them. You're going to be safe in this boat as I blot out the world with a flood. What has God already done? It starts to sound like the cross a little bit already. I must and will punish sin. But I will provide a way through. You see, one of the things we can gather from God and from this story of Noah, and by the way, Noah is a main, the main character of the story, but you don't hear much from him, you don't see much from him, he doesn't do much, except everything God tells him to do. It's like, hey, Noah, yeah. <laughs> you know, build a boat, okay, God did it, but Noah did it. You don't have a bunch of dialogue from Noah talking to somebody. You don't have a bunch of interaction with people. You just have Noah going, okay, I'll do what you tell me to do. Very smart of Noah, by the way. Right? But what does God do? As soon as God says, I'm going to punish the world, he also provides a way through it. And it's Noah and his family in an ark. It is in God's nature to punish sin, that's true, but it is also in God's nature to provide a way through and out of sin and judgment. It's just like the cross. I have to punish evil. Therefore Jesus has to die. But because Jesus died, I can display my forgiveness and grace and love towards you. In Noah's day, I have to provide I have to provide punishment and justice for this world that's become corrupt and violent. But I am not giving up on my image bearers, I'm going to provide a way through. Noah and his family in the weird, big, fancy boat. <laughs> right? And lots of animals, too. He didn't even give up on the rest of creation. You know, he, and we read the first part of the passage, like, I'm wiping out every living thing. He even displays grace on animals. Whichever one's made it on the boat got grace, too. <laughs> the grace of survival. They got to live through it, too. He provided a way through it. The flood, if you think about this from just right, just what's happening here, he's flooding the earth. He's reversing what he did in creation where he separated land and water. We said that. He's literally, in some ways, baptizing the planet. When we do baptism, it's a symbol of what? It's a symbol of new birth, right? It's a symbol of... Christ washing away our sin. The baptism water is a symbol of God's grace in our life. God looks at an evil and corrupt people and planet and washes it clean. He literally just pours out water over the earth and washes it away. For a long time, I was a canoeing person in high school and at camp and summer camp. It's summer. Summer camps are coming. I always think about canoeing when summer comes because I love to go, used to love to go canoeing. I haven't been in a long time because I don't live near a river that I really like. But I loved canoeing. But I was never dirtier than an entire morning of teaching kids how to canoe. <laughs> in a river, in the mud, in the sand. My favorite was when they get water in the canoe, and then you lift the canoe over your head, and all the mud and water just kind of bathes you. <laughs> I mean, when you come out, it's time to go get ready for lunch. You know, you've been down there since 8 o'clock that morning, and you're going to lunch, You're like... They didn't have all those river shoes and stuff that they have now, so you had an old pair of tennis shoes on full of river water and sand. You're covered in mud and dirt. There's mud and dirt caked in your hair, but it was gloriously fun. (laughs) Right? But you were never dirtier than at the end of that canoeing teaching shift. I mean, I got mud inside of mud. I'm so dirty. You know what I mean? Like, I can feel the filth in my bones. (laughs) And then you hit that shower. Shower you ever experienced this? You ever been so dirty, you're like, I just need to go to a bathroom. Or you're so dirty, they hose you off before you come in the house. Were you, you ever that dirty when you were young? You're like, no, 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 you can't go in the house yet. <laughs> right? That's how dirty you get when you teach canoeing. The world was that corrupt. The world was that evil. The world was that full of sin. And God goes, mm, get the hose out. we got to wash you off first. The flood was, the flood was punishment for sin, and corruption. But it was also a display of God's grace. Through Noah and his family, he literally redeems creation. The animals, too! And so what ends up happening is, you get this, like, after Noah and his family come off the ark, it's, you look around, it's like, it's just us. Who's coming over for dinner? The five of us. You know, like, it's just them, Right? And these animals that they've cut loose, like snakes, keep going. Just go over there. Cut them loose. Fill the earth and subdue it. This is what's fascinating about this passage. Look at at Genesis 8 now. Just a couple of verses. My bookmarks are messing me up. Okay, here we go. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled this pleasing odor of the Lord in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever destroy every living creature I have done as long as the earth endures. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not Cease. Noah and his family come off the ark, Off the ark, and the first thing Noah does is worship God. He builds an altar. He sacrifices the clean animals. Clean animals survive the flood. First thing that happens to them when they open the boat is what? <laughs> Burnt sacrifice. Sorry. I mean, I, just, I read the Bible sometimes, and I go, God has a sense of humor. You made it through all that 40 days in the water, you're dead. That's just me. That's the weird youth pastor in me still coming out. You know what I mean? It's just quirky. First thing Noah does is build an altar to God and worship God. Remember, before the flood, the inclination of every person is what? Evil and corruption. Now Noah is not perfect. Noah is not sinless. Sin does continue. But where is Noah's heart inclined when he comes off the boat? To worship God. They're it. They're everybody, and the inclination of their heart is now worshiping and honoring God. Something has changed. It's not the same. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I think this is what I was really getting to a minute ago. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, here it is, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread. Oops. Fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal on the earth, on every kind, of, every kind of the air and everything that creeps on the ground and on all the flesh of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that shall, shall be food for you, that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. So the inclination of Noah's heart has changed. That I just lost my place. The inclination of Noah's heart has changed. But something else has radically changed too. By the way, first verse of chapter 9 ought to sound remarkably familiar. Or verse 2. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Ring a bell? It's pretty much the original command he gave Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. I've started over, now you gotta help me start over. You gotta fill this planet back up. What does that tell us about God's nature? Even coming out of this judgment, this delivery against evil and sin and corruption and wickedness of all of mankind, wiping out people. This is one of those passages in the Bible you read: how is a good and loving God wipe out so many people? He could have wiped everybody out. Displayed grace through Noah. And then he gives Noah the same command he gave Adam and Eve. What does that tell us? That God has not given up on us no matter how far we wander. And he won't. In chapter 8, he says, I am making my covenant with you. I promise I will never do this like this again. God makes a promise. Now that I've done this, I will never again destroy the earth because of the inclination of human heart. Because it's full of sin. If I did, I'd have to do it every couple of years. You know, like, I'm never going to do it again. That is my promise to you. I will covenant with you and your family. God is, says, I have kept you. I have spared you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Be fruitful, multiply. The writer of Genesis wants us to know this is like a second creation. This is like the first one. Everything is starting over, but things have changed. Remember Genesis 2, what did did God give Adam and Eve to eat? You ever notice this? This is really weird when you think about it. This is one of these things where I go, okay, this is interesting. God gave Adam and Eve what? Every tree, plant, fruit in the garden. Flood comes, we're starting over, we're back in the new first family. It's a new first family again. Everything's kind of reset. We're moving forward. What can they eat? He gives them animals to eat, too. Noah was the first one to have steak. I mean, that's what we're saying. He said, I've given you every living thing. Interesting sidebar to that. What did the animals eat before the flood? Did they eat meat? Doesn't sound like it. Just something has changed. The nature of creation has changed. The nature of the world has changed. Our, our relationship with God has changed to some degree. It's like now, you're, yeah, just plants and animals. You get animals now, too. You get burgers and steak and chicken and fish. Sorry, guys. Like you get food, meat. <laughs> it's changed in verse 3. Isn't that interesting? We were all vegetarians until the flood by the way we were operating. But after the flood, something's changed. Just throwing that out there. But God will not give up on humankind, not up on his image bearers, no matter how far we wander. Verses 7 through 17 of chapter 9. Here it is again. And you, talking to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. God said to Noah and his, his sons with him, As for me. I am establishing my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you, birds and domestic animals, every animal on the earth that is with you, as many who came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me And you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds... I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting covenant between God... And every living creature of all the, earth, all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Noah and his family are a new family. He's made a promise not to judge the world the way he just did. He has provided a way through it. He has commissioned this new family just as he did Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply to fill the earth and have sub, sub to subjugate it to take care of it to steward it to care for it to rule over it as his image bearers on earth. And that's his response to Noah the first inclination of Noah coming off the boat is to worship God. God says this is what I wanted. He's not given up on the story. He has not given up on the plan. God has reset everything, but he's reset everything onto the path he originally intended it to go. He could have chosen to leave Noah out of the loop. You realize that, right? That a just and perfect and holy God was completely justified to just start completely over. But he didn't. But the writer of Genesis wants us to make the connection to Genesis 1 because he's like, God has not even stopped the original plan. He still has a plan to be in relationship with us and place us over creation, to be in perfect relationship with us going forward, even though the inclination of our heart is still towards sin. Because that's the old... (laughs) The Old Testament, God was grumpy. Jesus came. Now he's happy. You know, like, this is the plan has not stopped, but it has changed. And God binds himself and says, I will never destroy it like this again. Not the way that I just did. I'm going to provide another way for us to be in relationship with each other. I'm going to punish sin. I have to punish sin. I have to punish evil because I'm holy. But that is why I sent my. That's why I had to send my son. So that I don't have to flood and destroy the earth again. Because sin will be punished, and I will be able to forgive, and we will be in relationship. And one day, God will completely eliminate evil and sin. Because He will. One day, the only people on the earth will be, their hearts will be entirely inclined to God. Everybody. All of us. And the world will be what God originally intended in Genesis 1. When you get to Revelation 21, it looks a lot like Genesis 1, except it's a city instead of a garden. Gold streets, river running through it, tree of good trees, tree of everlasting life, God in perfect relationship with man. Sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1. What is the lesson we can learn from the story of Noah? Because Noah really doesn't do much except whatever God tells him to do. He doesn't say much, doesn't do anything, get on a boat, builds a boat. That's a lot, (laughs) right? But you don't get all this, like, Noah talking about stuff, Noah doing stuff. God uses Noah and his family to provide grace to us even though the world was gone. And what's really interesting, and it's a subject for another sermon every day, is if you know the rest of Noah's story, Noah didn't stay perfectly inclined to God forever. Noah kind of screws up if you keep reading his story. The rest of chapter 9, he goes off the deep end. He's the first one to plant a vineyard. Way to go, Noah. (laughs) Noah gets a little lit after this part of the story (laughs) and messes up. He's not perfect. We're not perfect. We still sin. And the inclination of our heart is still to disobey God. And yet he sent his son anyway. Just like with Noah, just like with the world then... God provides a way through. He has to punish evil, but he has provided us a way through. And he will never, ever give up on his image bearers. That's what the story of Noah teaches us. Is That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God we see even in the Old Testament. The one who's perfect and holy. The one who loves us enough to display his grace in our life. And the God who will not give up on us. Because he is loving. And he does want to pour out his love and his grace upon us. That's why it's appropriate that this story would be the story we read on a communion Sunday, right? That no matter how far you've fallen. No matter how far you've gone off the reservation. Even last week. If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us because of what Jesus did. And that is what we celebrate. That is what we remember when we serve and and come to the table of communion together. Let's pray and then we'll take the elements together. God, thank you for this Sunday morning, this Pentecost Sunday. When you poured out your spirit upon us to move your mission forward. To continue to be the one you were for Noah the one who loves us, the one who displays grace even in the midst of your holiness and justice. The one who wants relationship with us and pursues us no matter what. As we come to the table this morning, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins because they are many. That you would continue to display your grace and your love in our life. And that you would shape the inclination of our heart only towards you. In your precious son, Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. We are going to take communion together this morning. And So on your chair, you should have a handout that has the liturgy that we use to do so. And so there's some responsive reading elements in that. All right. So on this, there's one side that has some bold and some not so bold text. We're going to read through that together as we come to the table this morning. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Up Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth, you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, and set before us the way of life. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven... We praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. By your great mercy we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son from the dead, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Once we were no people, but now we are your people. Declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, When the Lord Jesus ascended, He promised to be with us always in the power of Your Word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took some bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant. poured out for you for the, many, for the forgiveness of your many sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, on the day you raised him from the dead, He was recognized by His disciples in the breaking of the bread and the power of the Holy Spirit. Your church has continued in that breaking of bread and sharing of the cup. And so in remembrance of these mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving. As a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering to us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. On these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. That we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to the world. Until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church... All oh, honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. So here's how we take communion at connection. We've got, some piece, we got the bread already torn up here. We've got the cup. The band's going to lead us in some music. So you have time to reflect, to pray, to confess your own sins before the Father. When your heart is ready, you can come to the table and take a piece of bread and a cup and return to your seat And then we will take them, just hold on to them, we will take them all together as one body when I cue you to do so, all right? Gracious God, thank you for being just. Thank you for being holy. But thank you for being loving and merciful beyond measure. For not giving up on us. For pursuing us through your love, through your Son, and with the Holy Spirit, you have poured out the way for us to live. Prepare our hearts as we come to this table, which is your table, and remind our hearts that one day we will drink and eat with you again in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. table is open when you are ready. Body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and a sign of his new covenant. Take and drink. Most God, holy God, you are alone are worthy to be praised. We come from you through the Son and live with your spirit inside of us to empower us, to draw us ever closer to you, to move us on towards perfection. Help us to live in the way that you have called us to live. And thank you for your wonderful grace poured out upon us. In Christ's name.